better to have 50 peaches full and bursting of flavor than 5,000 small and sour peaches. I don't know about you, but when it comes to thinning a garden, that's something I've always struggled with. And you have all those fresh sprouts coming up. The last thing you want to do is just go and pull them up. It just doesn't seem right. But you know that in the end, it makes it worth it. So now that you all are officially experts on fruit growing, what in the world does any of this have to do with our lives? Well, to start off, just as a tree that is full of green, beautiful leaves does not necessarily produce good fruit, a person who looks and behaves like they're spiritually rich on the outside doesn't always produce the best fruit either. Revelation 4.17 warns certain believers who are rich and wealthy that though they appear to have it all together, really, they are poor and destitute. It's not how you appear act, or dress that shows you're a believer, but it's the fruit that comes from your life that shows how you live your life and shows that you are a God-honoring believer. And going back to what I said about the bugs and weeds around those trees, think about what are some weeds in our lives today? Well, weed is the same thing as a trial or some difficulty you face. It could be an illness, an unexpected illness. COVID was a pretty big weed in all of our lives over the past couple years. It could be financial struggles. It could be people that test your patience. How many of you have ever dealt with a person like that? Anyone? Okay. <laughs> so, or it could be drama at your workplace. Anybody have workplace drama? Okay. Don't want to admit it. That's okay. So these and many other things are weeds in our lives. Well, in the same way, these weeds around these fruit trees actually helped produce good fruit, weeds in our lives can do the same. Now, God doesn't purposely cause these things to happen in our lives, these difficult things, but he can and often does use them to help us grow spiritually, to help us be stronger Christ followers, to help us grow in our dependence and reliance on him, to grow in our patience, our humbleness, and especially to be able to find joy in him, even amidst our suffering. So when working with fruit trees, there's so many different things that make, go into making good-tasting fruit. Some of them are small, some of them are bigger, but they all improve the quality of the fruit. For believers, it's similar. We need to grow where we are. We need to learn to speak little and instead learn much. We need to be watered daily through the word. We need to prune our words so only the best ones come out of our mouth. When believers do this, we will naturally begin to produce higher quality fruit. Luke 6.44 says, For every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. Now, I promise I'm not going to go into as much detail about figs as I did peach trees, but there are two things that I took from figs. The first is that a fig tree, if taken care of well, can produce fruit for over 100 years. In the same way, we as believers should also be producing fruit for over 100 years. Throughout the life we are living, as well as the legacy we leave behind after we pass on from this earth. Another unique thing about fig trees is how they produce their fruit. Most, when you think of an apple tree or a peach tree, what's the first thing you see in the spring? Blossoms. So most trees have to produce the blossom, which then produces the fruit. 
Well, with a fig tree, the first thing you're going to see is actually the fruit. This is because they do have blossoms, but they're inverted. They develop inside the fruit, so you can't see them. And they're pollinated by a tiny wasp called a blastophaga, which I probably mispronounced that, but you get the idea. This insect enters through a tiny opening at the bottom of the fruit and pollinates it from the inside. Does this sound familiar at all? Well, this is how we as disciples of Christ produce fruit as well. The seed of fruit forms inside our heart where the Holy Spirit enables us to grow and in turn produce fruit. While it's not visible on the outside, God is doing amazing things in our heart, or at least he wants to if we will allow him to do so. All this to say is that trees will produce fruit, or at least should produce fruit at some point in their life. It's either going to be good fruit or it's going to be bad fruit. Luke 6.45 says, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. Good fruit comes from those with God-honoring hearts, whereas evil or bad fruit comes from those with evil or sin in their hearts. Each one of us here today is or will be producing fruit with how we live our lives and how we speak our words. Which leads me to my second point, which is the words we speak show what kind of fruit we are producing. Luke 6.45 says, A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. I don't want you to leave here today going out and analyzing every single person's words, how they talk, like you're a fruit inspector. Rather, what I want you to do is inspect your own words, how you speak. Is the way you speak the same no matter where you are or what environment you're in? Do you speak the same way around church that you do at your workplace, with your friends, with your not-so-much friends? The way we speak shows where our heart is. Our heart condition affects the words we use as well as the fruit we produce. A person can be the nicest person in the world, a person who volunteers in their community, who gives away much of their possessions, who's attended church their entire life. But how do other people find out these things about this person? Well, because they more than likely told them. While on the outside this looks good, and their actions make it look like they're producing good fruit, their words are showing a sense of pride coming from their hearts. It's showing that their motivation for doing these things isn't to honor God, but that it's coming from a sense of pride. Again, Jesus didn't speak these words so that we could judge how others speak. He spoke them so that we could judge how we speak, so that we can address the plank that is in our own eye. So before you start to make judgments about other people's hearts or based on their words, first look at your own heart. Look at the way you speak, as well as the words you pray. When you talk to other people, do your conversations tend to turn to negative things, whether it's about other people, whether it's about rulers, those in authority? Well, this reveals a heart filled with gossip or slander or even resentment. When you talk to others, do you talk only about earthly things, such as your job, your recreational activities, the local news, without ever turning things towards spiritual matters. Well, these words reveal a heart fixed only on earthly things. The bottom line this morning is that we all produce fruit. Whether we like it or not, we are all producing fruit in the way we speak and the way we live. And again, it will either be good or bad. 
My first application point this morning is to listen to the way you speak. Listen to the conversations you speak throughout the day, throughout this week. How often do your words turn to speaking to others about God, the Bible, or even spiritual topics? Or is the majority of your conversations spent around other topics, such as the weather, sports, or news? I'm not saying every conversation you have needs to be about God or Scripture. I'm more so encouraging you to observe where a majority of your conversations lie. What you spend the most time talking about shows where your priorities are, and in turn, where your heart condition is. My second application point is to also listen to the way you pray. The way you pray is a good indication of the condition of your heart. So take some time this week and pay attention to how you pray. If you pray out loud, record it, and then go back and listen to it. Or even just write down the request you're praying for. The main thing I want you to look at is how many of your prayers are focused on you versus others, and more importantly, God. For most of us, our prayers are mostly about us. One person that had the same problem was Jonah in the Old Testament. In his prayer in Jonah 2, he prayed about himself more than anything else. His prayer contained twice as much talking about himself and his own requests than anything else. Literally, 12% of the words in his prayer are the words, I and me. So what do you pray for? Who do you pray for? When was the last time you prayed a prayer focused solely on God, praising his name and thanking him for his blessing? So take some time this week and try to pray in a way that shifts the focus from yourself and towards God. And I'm not saying to never pray for yourself. Jesus prayed for himself, and many of the people we look up to throughout scriptures all prayed for themselves. But what I'm saying is to not only pray for yourself. Try to pray just one prayer without bringing yourself up in that prayer. And that will help you see where your focus is, as well as what kind of fruit you're producing. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this message, these words that I've read from Luke and the message you're giving us. I ask that you would help us to think about the fruit in our lives that we are producing, that you would help us to evaluate our heart and the condition of it, and that you would help us to be able to make changes that need to be made so that we can honor you and produce good fruit. In your name I pray, amen. So now I'm going to transition into a time of talking about our mission trip and reporting on it. In the beginning of this me- the message I just gave, I talked about how James came up a lot throughout this past week. And one of the main things, the focus of it, was our words and the power our words have and how we can use our words to help show love to others. Now, we're going to show um, some videos of team members talking about their experiences, so I'm going to focus more so on the history of this town, and I think you'll see where I'm coming from. So this town was a coal town. Um, Before they discovered coal, this town did not exist. The nearest town was probably 50, 60 miles away. They discovered coal here, and that the coal in this town had the highest quality of coal found anywhere on this planet. So if you are into coal and the steel industry, that means big bucks. And so they had a problem with this massive coal mine. That was there's no people. People couldn't come through these mountains because there's no roads, there's no infrastructure. 
So this company said, well, we're just going to build a town. So they built a town from the bottom up. They brought in infrastructure. And this town was a really nice town. It had nine-hole golf course, had Olympic-sized pool, bowling alleys, all the amenities you could possibly imagine. In the 1950s, Life magazine did an article on the top five places to live in our nation, and Wheelwright, Kentucky was number three. And so people were prospering there. But it was run by the coal company, which meant everything you got had to come from the company store. If you wanted a car, they gave you a catalog, they shipped it to you, took it out of your paycheck, so they're very reliant on the company. So this company decided overnight that they were going to move out of town. And it also happened to be right around Christmas time when they did that. So overnight, the third most wanted to live in town in the country went from that to literally being out of business. The coal town or the coal company controlled everything. And so there were all other coal companies that came in, but none of them cared for the town. And eventually the mine shut down in the 70s. And so that left all these people without any kind of income whatsoever and went from becoming the third best town to live in to becoming the top 25 poorest counties in the country. And this specific town is one of the poorest towns in our nation. So all in a matter of 30 to 40 years, it had that. And in this town, you could just sense a sense of heaviness, almost depression. Most of these people are living off their social security, so they get about $730 a month to live off of. So there's extreme poverty in this town. And so Big Creek, the main purpose of their mission is to show love to these people. They do construction where they go in and help with houses, they do yard work, they distribute food, but their highest priority is having conversations with these people, talking with these people. If you're mowing a yard, they tell you to stop what you're doing and talk with the homeowners. That's more important than a job of showing them love. And that's where he's coming from with this James passage. And one big takeaway I took from it is that we don't have to go to Wheelwright, Kentucky to do this. We have elderly people living right down the road from us who want to talk to people. We can go talk to them. We have people in our communities who we can reach out to, who we can show the love of Christ to as well. And another important thing he talked about was how, as believers, we need to go to the people that other people don't want to talk to. We have to show all people the love of Christ. So that was one big takeaway, and then a more personal takeaway for me was just being able to go. Katie and Myla came along, and it was an amazing experience just being able to serve as a family. You'll hear from Myla in a minute, but there's one day we were able to work in the food pantry together. It was the three of us in a specific spot, and it was just something that Myla was able to do. She was able to pull stuff off the shelves and put it in the boxes. She was correcting my mistakes. If I forgot something, she'd go find it. And there's just something about serving on a missions trip with your family. And so I know not everyone can do it, but I just encourage you, if you ever have the opportunity to go on a missions trip as your family, you will not regret it. And so with that, we're going to present a short video or a brief video for you with some pictures after which some of our team members are going to share their thoughts and what they took away from this trip as well. <laughs> 